0: Well good morning, happy Easter to you, he is risen, indeed, indeed, yes, I don't know, that, that child has it right. Uh, this morning in each of our, our services so far I've stood in the back and we've sung that middle song there uh, of this second set and in the bridge The words are, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away, His perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. That's what this morning is all about. This morning is about celebrating the fact that sin and death and an eternity separated from God has been conquered by Jesus. And this morning I actually late last night, I exchanged some text with Drew Matthews and our team that's over in Western Asia um, just saying that I was praying for them this morning and he sent me a message back that said that they had the opportunity to gather together with uh, 30 local individuals there in Western Asia and celebrate the resurrection. And that they did that in the midst of Threats, vocal, verbalized, posted threats from ISIS that anyone who gathered for that purpose uh, would be punished. And yet 30 local individuals in the face of that kind of intimidation gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the most beautiful thing. That I can think of. I woke up this morning and saw that it was raining and that it might snow, and I feared that the weather would stop us from gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and ISIS could not stop 30 individuals in Western Asia from gathering to celebrate. This morning, that's what we want to do. We want to just take a minute to celebrate what it is exactly that the resurrection means for us. And normally, uh, when we talk about Holidays that center on Jesus and celebrating, we think of Christmas and presents. And, you know, if you've got children, that that Christmas Eve is like tangible, palpable. You can feel it kind of excitement in your house. And if your house is anything like mine was growing up, then you've got to set these like, we don't wake up before fill in the blank o'clock in order to go downstairs. And there's some critical age where the time gets earlier and earlier and earlier And all of a sudden, it's like we don't get up before 530 to go downstairs and and look at gifts. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. Gifts. The gift of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, born into the world. And we celebrate his presence. Well, Easter is the opposite. We celebrate absence at Easter. On Christmas We celebrate the presence of Jesus Christ. On Christmas, we celebrate the fact that there was Jesus in flesh in the manger. On Easter, we celebrate the fact that they ran to the tomb and he was not there. On Easter, we wake up and rejoice that the tomb was empty. You can think about the gospel in three locations. The work of Jesus in three locations that he... Laid in the manger humbly, that he hung on the cross willingly, and that he walked out of the tomb triumphantly. But you have to have all three. We make a really big deal out of Christmas, and rightfully so. It's wonderful to be able to celebrate the presence of Jesus here on earth, but we ought to make a really big deal out of Easter, because Easter changed eternity. Easter closed the loop on the gospel if you will. And so this morning, that's what we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the fact that Easter is history changing because the task was complete, the price had been paid, the mission accomplished, humanity saved because the tomb was empty. And that is the greatest news in all of human history. And it is also the greatest tragedy in any individual's life if they miss the beauty of the resurrection. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at a few Uh, truths, a few realities, if you will, about the resurrection. But the first is about the cross. And that's that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient on the cross. But before it was sufficient, it was necessary. Because if you look through all of the Bible from beginning to end, one thing is abundantly clear. And it's that sin is real. It is a part of all of our lives. And it demands punishment. From beginning to end, the Bible makes very, very clear that the wages of sin is death. And when the Bible talks about sin, it's not primarily talking about your behavior. We get our feathers ruffled because we think when somebody stands up to talk about sin, they're just talking about the things that we do or we don't do. When the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about a condition of the human heart. It's talking about the fact that at our very, very core, we are deeply flawed individuals. Our motivations, our thought processes why we do things, how we do things, stands in stark contrast to God. That's what sin is. And the Bible says that the wages for that are death. And so all throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's this system of sacrifices. In the New Testament, we see the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, once and for all, for the sins of all people. He was perfect and sinless and holy and unblemished, and yet He went to the cross willingly on our behalf to die. And He is sufficient as a Savior because He did so, though He was perfectly sinless. Because of that, His sacrifice is sufficient to pay the price for all sin, for all people, for all time in all of the world. But the story of Jesus doesn't stop at the cross. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say in 2 Corinthians 15 that if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He doesn't say that if Christ had not died, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He says that if Christ had not been raised, it is the gospel that gets wrapped up in the resurrection. And I think as Christians, we don't talk about it enough. We make a really big deal out of Jesus on the cross, and we absolutely should, but we don't quite make a big enough deal out of an empty tomb. The greatest passage in all of Scripture, I think, is found in Matthew 28. So that's what I want to read to you this morning. It's the first seven verses of that that chapter. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Then go quickly and tell the disciples... That he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I think the two greatest sentences ever uttered in all of human history are Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus Christ who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. You see, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient, but his resurrection from the grave is magnificent. In this moment, the disciples know that Jesus is who he said he was. In John's version of the story in the Gospel of John, Mary and Mary go and they tell the disciples, and Peter and John take off immediately to go see the empty tomb for themselves. And the text tells us that somewhere along the way they broke into a run. And they start running because they understand that if this thing has actually happened, then Jesus is actually who he said he was. And parenthetically, I've always gotten a chuckle out of the fact that in the Gospel of John, John makes sure to let you know that he got there first. He was faster than Peter, and he got to see it for himself first. It's the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb that lets us know that his sacrificial work on the cross was sufficient. It's in the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb that we see that Jesus is divine, that we see that Jesus has the ability to forgive sin, and that we see, ultimately, that Jesus has the ability to overcome death and hell. The resurrection completes the gospel. Rightfully so, we spend a lot of time talking about the cross and Jesus' death on it. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that if it were not for the resurrection, the cross would have been nothing more than a means of punishment. There were two other people that hung on crosses next to Jesus. Both of them died. Both of them were buried somewhere, but we don't celebrate them. We don't gather together as a church and proclaim the greatness of their sacrifice on our behalf. We don't do that because they were sinful and broken individuals and they weren't a sufficient sacrifice for sin and there was no magnificent resurrection in their lives. We gather together to celebrate the fullness of the gospel because Jesus walked out of the tomb. That's what makes Easter so great. When the angel said, he is not here for he has risen, he uttered the most magnificent, important words in all of human history. Belief in those has huge implications in our lives. There are these resurrection realities, if you will. And So I just want to walk through three of them. If you're someone who's here this morning and you've placed your faith in Christ, then what we gather to celebrate is that the following three things are true and we can stake our lives on them. If you're someone who's here this morning and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in His sacrifice on the cross, and in His resurrection from the tomb, then these three things are held out as hope for you. They're available for you at all times, not just today on Easter, but every day of your life. The first one is this. If you place your faith in Jesus and in His death and resurrection, then your past has been forgiven. The Bible makes it very, very clear that our faith in Christ gives us a fresh start. Romans 8 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who put their faith in Jesus and that the old has gone and the new has come, I believe it means exactly that. That the work of Jesus on the cross and out of the grave has given you new life. The old is completely gone. It's not just that if you place your faith in Jesus, then God accepts you as some sort of damaged goods. Or he looks on you reluctantly and says, okay, I guess I have to let you into my presence. No, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then one of the realities of the resurrection is that you are brand new. And you will come to a moment in your life when you die or when Jesus returns and you will stand before a holy and righteous God and he will look on you and see the work of Christ and welcome you into his arms with joy because you are new and your past has been completely forgiven. I have this app on my phone. It's a game. I spend entirely too much time on it. It's kind of like Candy Crush in that it wants you to fail so that it can entice you into buying 99-cent power-ups. And if you buy, it holds out the hope of the power-up. And if you buy the power-up, you can get through this level and move on. Well, somehow, at some point or another, I discovered that when I realize I'm going to die, if I just double-click my center button and swipe up on the app, then reopen it, I get a fresh start at that exact point where I was just about to die, and I don't need to buy the power-up. And so I'm very far into this game in terms of levels, and I've never spent any money because when I get into Jeopardy, I just double-click and swipe up and then restart. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, he has literally double-clicked and swiped up, and you start fresh, brand new, no payment, no penalty, walking forward in life with him. He's given you a brand new start. But I want to push this even one step further. Because I want to make sure that we get straight that his sacrifice is sufficient and his resurrection is meaningful for everyone. There's not a person on the face of this this planet who's beyond the scope of Jesus' saving work. There is not an action so bad that Jesus cannot save you. There's not a person so sinful that they are beyond the scope or reach of his love and his work. Hebrews 7.25 says that he is able to save completely those who draw near to him. There is no limit. There is no exception. If you're here... This morning, and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus, and you think to yourself, either I don't need it, or I can't have it. Both of those are false. You absolutely need it, and it is absolutely available for you. His sacrifice was sufficient, and his resurrection magnificent for all. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, then your past is forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, it gets better. It gets better because one of the resurrection, or realities of the resurrection is that your present is meaningful. It's meaningful in you right now. When I was 16 years old, I got my first car. It was a 1995 red Ford Mustang. And I remember very, very clearly the first time I ever drove in the snow. If you know anything uh, about cars or particularly Mustangs, you know that they're rear-wheel drive and that all the weight is in the front. And I didn't know that when I first got it. And so the very first time I ever drove in the snow, I had gone to play in an indoor soccer game down off of Front Street, and it snowed during the game. And so had it snowed beforehand, there's no way my parents would have let me drive down there because I hadn't been told anything about driving in the snow with this particular type of vehicle. So I come out of the game. I see that there's snow on the ground. I get into my car and back out of the parking space. I pull up to the edge of the parking lot to take a right onto the street uh, in order to exit and I just do what I would normally have done I kind of punched the gas a little too harder than I should have because I was 16 and it was awesome (laughs) and as soon as I did that I went into like two complete donuts totally out of control super chaotic I was scared. I didn't feel like I could do anything about it. And when my car came to rest, facing the wrong way in the lane, a buddy of mine, who also could drive, pulled up next to me, rolled down his window, very calmly says, you need to sort that out, and then drove off. (laughs) There will be moments in every single person's life where they feel out of control, helpless, Chaotic, scared. Those moments will arrive for each and every one of us. And one of the realities of the resurrection is that even those are meaningful. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that we would begin to understand how incredibly great God's power is to help those who believe in Him. In another place, we're told that our present circumstances are working to achieve in us a glory that far outweighs whatever difficulties we might run across. That's not to minimize the reality and difficulty and challenges of life. It's not to gloss over or try to put a bow on the pain that you might experience at various points in your life. But it is to drive home the fact that one of the realities of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that there is help available to those who have put their faith in him. There's meaning to your present circumstances if you've placed your faith in Jesus. You see, God is working to mold you into the image of Christ. And he's working to do that in a pur- uh, for a purpose. Because not only are your present circumstances meaningful in you, they're also meaningful in the world around you. Jesus had one purpose for his entire life. He came to save. And he was laser focused on it the entire time he walked the earth. Whether he was hanging out with the disciples, his friends, or hanging on the cross, he had one desire and one desire only, and that was to save. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he takes up residence inside of you. That means that just as he lived on this earth with one purpose, and that was to save, that means that that power now lives in you and has one purpose. And that's to make the gospel known so that others might be saved. Galatians 2.20 says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Thanks to the resurrection, thanks to the empty tomb, your present is meaningful both in you, conforming you into the image of Christ and around you, and that God wants to draw people to himself through your circumstances and through your life. But that's not all, because it still gets one step better if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then your past is forgiven, your present is meaningful, but it also means that your future is guaranteed. It's guaranteed in an eternity in the presence of God. It's guaranteed in heaven, in His presence, where there's no more sin, no more pain, no more tears, just perfect, unbroken, eternal relationship with God. And that's available only through Jesus. There is no other means available, but there's also no other means necessary. His work on the cross and out of the grave guarantees the future of those who place their faith in him. It doesn't mean that from now until that moment, everything is going to be great. It doesn't mean that from now until that moment, there won't be challenges or difficulty. It just means that your future in heaven for all of eternity is guaranteed if you place your faith in Christ. His sufficient sacrifice and magnificent resurrection are all you need. As a believer, as someone who places their faith in Christ, resurrection realities are everyday realities. If you're someone who's here this morning and you've not ever placed your faith in Christ and in His work on the cross and out of the tomb, resurrection realities are everyday realities. They are held out for you every day for all of your life that you might place your faith in them and have your past forgiven, your present given meaning and your future guaranteed. If you're someone who has placed your faith in Jesus, we ought to wake up every single day and remind ourselves of the two greatest sentences that have ever been spoken. Do not be afraid, for I know that you came to seek Jesus Christ who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. He has risen and it means your past has been forgiven. He has risen and it means your present is meaningful. He has risen and it means your future is guaranteed. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we come together and we celebrate because of that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and we sing triumphantly, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away, his perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. We celebrate that. There is no greater news in all of history. Past, present, future. It's the power of the resurrection, available every day for all who would put their faith in Jesus, held out for all those who have not. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then we celebrate today that our past has been forgiven. If you've placed your faith in Christ, we celebrate today that our present is meaningful and that our future is guaranteed. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ... Today, there's an opportunity to have your past forgiven, your present given meaning, and your future guaranteed. We're going to close this morning by singing one more song. The words of this song say the following. There is power in His name, for the stone was rolled away. Mighty Savior lifted high, King forever, Jesus Christ. Crowned in glory, raised to life, the same power lives in us. The grave could not contain the power of your name. Death you overcame once and for all. It's the power of a sufficient sacrifice, yes, but it's the power of a magnificent resurrection. That's why we gather this morning and we triumphantly declare that He is risen. You can stand up. We're going to sing together.